Hey, it's Amy. This is Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. But before we begin, I just have a quick favor to ask you, and that is to subscribe to Democracy in Color on iTunes. This is the year to talk about how race and social justice are shaping our politics. So don't miss any of the upcoming episodes featuring our best and our brightest. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. Do we participate in a politics of cynicism or do we participate in a politics of hope? Because when we are together, we got power. And we can make decisions. I stand before you today as a candidate for the Democratic nomination for the presidency of the United States of America. We want to register to become first class citizens. This is Amy Allison with Democracy in Color, the voice of the new American majority. If you don't know the name Nina Turner, well, you should. Nina was Ohio State Senator and Minority Whip, and during the presidential primary, she was one of the leading national spokespeople for the Bernie Sanders campaign. She's so accomplished, a professor, a writer, a national progressive leader, an inspirational and phenomenal woman, and she bubbled up on the national scene in 2014 with her campaign for Secretary of State in Ohio in defending the ballot access and voting rights of every person there, including people of color. She bears her heart and she fiercely fights for the people. I know you'll agree. Here's our recent conversation from Cleveland, Ohio. Nina Turner, thanks so much for joining us on Democracy in Color. It's a pleasure, Amy. Last time I saw you, it was in Berkeley, California. Yes. And you were running for Secretary of State in, in, in Ohio. Was, you were almost making a, two years ago. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in November, it'll be two years. And yeah. so much has happened since then. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you've been on the road. I have for Senator Bernie Sanders. I'm a national surrogate for him, and it has been a maelstrom, if I can, you know, of... of uh, emotion, experience, to be able to touch people in the way that I've been able to touch them, to really um, see myself, a lot of myself in Senator Bernie Sanders, his righteous indignation for the people. Uh, some people would say that your decision to be a national spokeswoman was a risky move for a long political career. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Well, you know what? What's happening in America right now with the suffering? I mean, risky move would be for me to sit back silently and just go with the status quo. Our people, and not just African-Americans, but all poor people are really crying out for some type of leadership in the political space. And, you know, Senator Sanders has that heart-soul agreement. So I just, I couldn't just sit idly by and continue to go with the status quo. It's just this, I don't know if you've ever had these moments or epiphanies or or times when you just can't sleep. You you have to make a decision. I, it was almost like a haunting, if you will, that 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 I knew in my heart and my spirit, not with my head, because had I went with my head, I would have continued with the status quo. But I very much went with my my heart on this one. And you went all in. All in. All in. There was so much conversation about the role of black voters. Yes. There is. Yes. I mean, you're here in Ohio, and I re I'll always remember when I interviewed you a couple years ago, you said... Ohio's the swing state of the swing state. Yes. And you, you were state senator here uh -huh. uh, representing Cleveland. Yes. You know about how important the electorate is 
just as a state, but you also deeply understand the role of the black electorate. Yes. So when people were f- saying, well, the black community supporting um, Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. what, what do you make of all of that? That was, and, and, and my God, your memory is, is spectacular. I, you know, no Republican has ever won the White House without winning Ohio, and no Democrat has won the White House since the 60s without taking Ohio. So it's not just uh, bravado when I say that Ohio is the swing state of swing states. For me, you know, African Americans are brand loyal. So overwhelmingly, we vote for Democrats. And Senator Sanders was going against the barrier of familiarity. And Traveling across the country just really has cemented that for me, that he was only a national figure for a little more than a year, you know, not decades. And so the Clintons, to their credit, uh, this is not shade, this is not criticism, they have a long relationship with the African-American community, starting off with him being governor of Arkansas, and she was the first lady, and then she's the first lady of America, you know, in the 90s, and then she's senator of New York and then secretary of state. So Senator Sanders was really going up against this decades-long relationship that the Clintons have with the African-American community, and I was really offended not so much at the Clintons, but that at the whole notion that African-Americans have somehow become the firewall, not just for her, but for Democrats. I mean, if you but, look... Yeah, I, w- I want to ask you about that. This whole idea that uh, black voters are in the pocket. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you hear that all the all time. All the time. I mean, I want to be proposed to, I want to get the ring. You know, I want to yeah, be Take the me out a few right, dates. Take me, yeah, take me out. <laughs> but because we are so predictable, in our voting patterns, people who run for office, whether it is the Clintons or anybody else, that's a Democrat. They don't have to court us substantively, and we certainly don't get the ring. Even right now, there was a poll that looked at the unfavorability rating of Mr. Trump and Secretary Clinton. Among African Americans, her unfavorability rating is only 19%. Among our Hispanic sisters and brothers is 34%. Wow. But among whites and then white women and white men, it is in the in the 60s. So what that says, let's reverse that. African Americans and the Hispanic community like her more. In other words, and then just let's talk about the African American community. Again, going back to that brand loyalty. It is there no matter what. Now, Mr. Trump, oh, my God, you know, 94 percent of African-Americans are saying, oh, no, we have no holler for you. But my point is this, whether it's Mr. Trump and he is responsible, he has to take responsibility for all of his rhetoric, the hatred that he's spewing. I just want to put him to the side for a minute. It has been a very long time that the African-American community has gotten anything of substance generationally from the democratic power structure where we're, we're poor, our children are still undereducated, and these are in communities that are led by Democrats. So what I am saying, I want voters to be conscious. I just want us to be conscious and for African-Americans to be so low. Democrats can't win without us, yet we get nothing. So how, in your view, do black voters start asserting the power that we have? What I hear you saying is, uh, Democrats need black voters in order to win. To win. Hillary Clinton needs black voters in order to win. to win. What do we do now at this point in the electoral cycle where we're coming up just a few weeks from the Democratic National Convention yes. and we're going into the general election? What do black voters do now to try to, I mean, to try to shake things up? 
have a consciousness. You know, I just as a historian, I just want to remind your listeners that there was a period of time in our country's history where African Americans voted overwhelmingly Republican. And we know why, because the radical Republicans, that was the party of the abolitionists. It made sense. Think about that. It made sense. You're going to go with the party that said, oh, yeah, we're going to fight. We're going to abolish slavery. 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment to the Constitution. Right. It makes total sense. Right. It was in the 30s, you know, with FDR, the whole New Deal, even though that's a whole nother uh, conversation about how much the the New Deal did for African Americans, but let's just talk about the New Deal. African Americans started to vote as Democrats, even though we didn't necessarily identify ourselves. Then Truman, and then President Franklin D. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, Franklin Roosevelt, and then President Johnson is what I wanted to say. So it was the 30s when we kind of really started to switch. Now, the reason why we did that is for the interests of our community. I mean, think about President Lyndon B. Johnson. He got 94% of the African-American vote. You know why he got that? Mm. Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act. You, you see what I mean? Right. We got something for the vote. When when A. Philip Randolph, you know, the, the, the labor leader of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, threatened President Roosevelt and said, let, let me tell you something. You are going to do some things to the black community. I'm going to march on you. This was in the 40s. This was before, you know, the March on Washington in the 60s. And then the president didn't want to see that. So he said, okay, we're going to come in and negotiate. We got something mm. tangible for generations to come for our vote. I don't see us getting anything, the collective us from Democrats, that's tangible for generations to come. Mm. That is that is the problem that I have. Well, see, now that uh, the Sanders campaign's winding down and there are, I mean, he, it was an amazing yes. feat to get that level of, in, uh, of energy yeah. uh, and voters out. And I can tell you, living in, this, in California, that his campaign expanded the electorate. Yes. They focused on new voters. They focused yes, on... They uh, getting people into the mix mm-hmm. uh, to vote. And we actually still have 2 million votes that haven't right, been counted in the, in the state. So uh, the results will be, uh, you know, revealed later. Mm-hmm. What do we then make of the both the need that you're, you're calling out of uh, the African-American community really demanding some uh, actual uh, benefit, tangible, yes. tangible benefit, yes. and the fact that the campaign that was the conduit, yeah. the Sanders campaign, is winding down. I mean, I wanted to say, you know, now what? Yeah, uh, because you're not, you know, you and I aren't the only ones who were just saying, hmm. Okay, what, what do we do now? What do we do now? I think you know, certainly the secretary's campaign had the math right. There's no denying it. The math is what it is. But I want to talk about social studies. And the social study says that everything that Senator Sanders was fighting for, not just in this campaign, but if people roll the tape, he's been fighting for this kind of stuff all of his political career, universal health care. You know, he took a, a group of elders over the border to Canada to to purchase prescri- prescription drugs because we know that our elders, and especially women who are paid lower, so, you know, when they got to deal, deal with Social Security, they get less money. But there are some seniors in this country who have to choose between paying their mortgage or their rent and eating so he took them over, you know, the board. So these these weren't just convenient talking points for him. When he talked about uh, trade deals that have taken away middle class jobs in this country, he's speaking to the black community, speaking to the Hispanic community, he's speaking to working class people across the ethnic spectrum. 
Right. When he talks about universal health care as a right, as a moral right in this country. So all of those things. So I say that to say that the social studies is still in play. And for me, I'm not going to trade my principles and my values for an election cycle. Mm. You were recently critical of uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren's endorsement yes. of Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, just just a few days after the California primary. Yeah. It wasn't even so much a criticism of her endorsement. I respect any elected officials, because I know how that feels, right, to endorse, to use your political cachet, however you see. But when I when I hear of and see someone, you know, getting um, so much praise for a Twitter war with Mr. Donald Trump, that anybody can engage in. I get it. Mr. Trump, you know, he goes there on Twitter, and I'm glad that people are... Well, he does, he goes there and he goes he, there he, in a way that no one else will no, do. No, he, he, he does. Even even Senator Warren doesn't yes. really go there yeah. the way he goes there. He, he goes can't there. win in, no, on, in, in his sandbox. He's a, bra- he's a brawler. But this is my point, that not so much that she didn't endorse Senator Sanders, although lots of progressives thought she would. I mean, on the trail, I kept hearing people wanted to see the Sanders-Warren ticket. Yeah, I heard that too. But I respect her right as a citizen and as an elected leader to use her cachet. But when the fight, the fight for what the issues that he was standing for, not so much his candidacy, I didn't hear a whole lot about that. And then, as you just mentioned, right after the California primary, here you go. You're, you're out. D.C. didn't even get a chance to finish voting before people started to continue to put their feet on the gas. Yeah, that got to me a little let, bit. Let me just say, I don't think the listeners understand. You have a leadership role in the Ohio Democratic Party. I do. Which was, hard, was, was, was well-deserved and hard-fought yeah. after a campaign for Secretary of State yeah. in Ohio a couple of years ago, yes. challenging a Republican who was actually you know, doing everything he can to limit people of color's access, access to the ballot and box. poor people, and and yeah, everything using his power. And I just felt compelled. You know, I had one more year on my Senate term, and I decided because you know I was just if if you're not willing to sacrifice something, and I don't have to sacrifice like our ancestors had to sacrifice. Like I don't have to worry about being sold on the block or separated from my family or thrown in jail and beaten because I dare try to register to vote. So for all of the shoulders that I stand on, their blood and their sweat and their tears for progress, I have an obligation to sacrifice something. So I sacrificed my last term. I had one more term. We have term limits in Ohio. But I had one more term in the Senate, and I decided that I was going to run for Secretary of State. In the state of Ohio, there's never been an African-American Democrat elected to statewide office ever in the history of this country. But there have been many who have, you know, blazed the path, but we haven't gotten there. And, you know, I, I, I did it, and I have no regrets in doing that. And then, you know, Chairman David Pepper ran for Attorney General, you know, as well. And so he, he and I teamed up after that election, the Democratic Party, our chairman, um, you know, did not, you know, seek, our chairman at the time did not seek to to hold that office again. And him and I teamed up and we kind of ran as a team, even though that wasn't in the bylaws. And so he made me chairwoman of of uh, political engagement, of policy, of political engagement, just, you know, traveling the state and really engaging 
our our folks. And so I took a leave of absence from that, not to put him in a bad position because our party did not endorse, you know, in the primary, which I have a great deal of respect for Chairman Pepper for not endorsing. So I didn't want to put him in a bad position. I did not have to resign, but I decided that that was the best and honorable thing to do. And I did that. And just, you know, uh, last week, someone sent me an email where this person who was a Clinton supporter, uh, sent an email to my chairman and to the vice chair of the party, Ryan McLean, saying that I am not upholding the unity principles of the party. And I'm paraphrasing, how dare I speak against the champion of progressive values, uh, Elizabeth Senator Elizabeth Warren, as if I'm not a champion for progressive values. And this was a white male, and he was saying to my chairman, you know, she she's not worthy to come back, and I urge you not to allow her. Now think about that, and I'm not exaggerating in these words, and then he CC'd a whole bunch of Clinton supporters. Mm. So here I am, an African-American woman, and he kept repeating, former state senator, yeah. former state senator. In this country, you get to keep your last uh, political That's right. title. But that was his way, and the people who he copied, way to try to control me and belittle me. And while he praised all all that Senator uh, Warren has accomplished, and yes, she's an accomplished woman, he devalued everything that I have accomplished as a strong elected political person in this state. Not only did I run for Secretary of State, I fought against Senate Bill 5, you know, the taking away the collective bargaining rights. I traveled this country. I've been a champion for reproductive health, even when it was not so comfortable for me personally, because I was raised in a household. My mother was an evangelist that said that abortion is wrong. You know, I have more than proven my bona fides in terms of standing up for people. But because I use my voice and I'm not going along to get along, I need to be chastised. And you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that's really what he said to, to my chairman, that this black woman has no right to have a mind of her own. And I resent it. And so I am not on the plantation. But black women overall and other women, th- these are the types of bat- uh, battles that we face. Now, this is another Democrat saying to my chairman, don't allow her. To come back, yeah, it's you know your uh, the the story you're telling. I'm really yeah. struck, and this just happened to me last week. Oh, I just wow. want your listeners it's all to new. know it's all new. Yeah, yeah, but it's old. But it's old. Yes, uh, it's very familiar yeah. for uh, black women, women of color to hear yeah. being devalued um, yeah. in that way, and to put you. Uh, in in a, a position of having to defend your bona fides. Yes, <laughs> uh, and and I think there's there's great value in calling out the Democrats yeah. for tolerating that. That's right. And expecting more. Yeah. So. But, 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 but remember what we talked about early. However, but we're the same voting block that the Democratic Party nationally depends on. If we dip below a certain percentage, Democrats will not win. But yet you have a white male Democrat telling my chairman, and he CC'd about 16 other people, um, out of that list maybe only two of them were African-American. One is the vice chair of the party, Mayor Ryan McLean, who I adore. And another one um, is, is uh, uh, Lenny Gertrude Powell, who's a soldier on the ground right here in Cleveland um, for, the, for, for the Democratic Party, period. But every other person he copied on there, they were white and they are Clinton supporters. And they're out. So this didn't happen 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I mean, this just happened to me last week. And so what I would say to Democrats is that until you start to stand up and against that kind of stuff, that we all don't think the same, we don't respond the same, but ultimately at the end of the day, we should be fighting for the same issues. That's right. Uh, 
yeah. it always, is, it really is also occurring to me <laughs> that the African-American community doesn't have, well, I mean, we've got the Republicans. Yeah. Not, an, not really an option. They for, ignore us. Other than me, a love, and a few That's outliers. Right. That's right. That's right. And you have the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, and there are people in the Democratic Party who act like that. And yeah, and, and you know what? While the Republicans may wear their racism clearly so we can see it, there's lots of racism in the Democratic Party. I think uh, Brother Malcolm X, when he had to describe the difference between the South and the North historically, he said it was the difference between the fox and the wolf. I know where the wolf is coming from. That's the South. But what I got to worry about is the fox. Uh, <laughs> and that's how I feel about the party that I've been a lifelong member of and have given my life's work to upholding not the party, but the values that we ascribe to. And to have that happen to me just last week, what else will it take? How accomplished do I have to be? Yeah. I, let, let me just say here and now. <laughs> and you're the getting answer, this firsthand. I, yeah, I've never... Yeah. I, let me just say right here and now, yeah. there's nothing more that, or more accomplished or more mm-hmm. that uh, you need to do. The problem is the system that we are finding ourselves in. Yeah. And... We can predict that the party desperately needs Senator Nina Turner to turn out the black vote Mm. in Ohio. Well, thank you. But in order to do that, we're also going to watch what we what we can get in terms of the policy. And I do. People don't know lots of things about you talking about accomplishment. They don't know you're a college professor. They don't know you're a accomplished writer. I mean, you are really one of these people who. The rest of us are like, dang, you know, you got all your talent, you got all oh, this talent, you you're this great me? leader, <laughs> and you're you're vocalizing you. um, what is as you know as obvious through your work through the Sanders campaign, yeah. the hopes and aspirations of millions and millions of people in this country. And so I just want I want an opportunity for one to you to tell me uh, what you're going to do for the rest of the year here yeah. in the state of Ohio. Now that yeah. now that uh, you're pivoting. Um, to your role at the state party, uh, what should happen with the, in Ohio, what you're going to do personally, um, and how you think it's all going to play out. Yeah, well, I'm going to continue to use my national voice and cachet to remind people that it's, we're still worth the fight collectively as Americans in this country, that if you are poor, you are worth our attention and our investment. If you are a young person that's, you know, saddled with debt, you you are worth our time and attention. If you are an elder that has worked all your life, you are not disposable. As our culture sometimes make our elders feel, you know, when you to to grow, uh, I say seasoned to become seasoned in this country. You know, they want to throw you away, unlike other cultures, uh, non-Western cultures. So I, I I'm going to continue to use my cachet and my voice to lift people, not just in the state of Ohio, but all across this country, to let them know that their voices are heard and they are worthy and they they need to get in the game. Voting is only one portion of it. You got to lobby. You have to be engaged at all times. And there's an election every single year, not just the presidential election, but who's your school board member matters, who your judges are, your prosecutors matter, who your governor is matters, that you got to be in it to win it. So in in, in many ways, I'm going to continue the path that I've always had, that of educator, that of uh, uh, inspire, you know, somebody that inspires. You know, call me the chief of inspiration, but I'm going to continue to do do those things, not just in our in this state, but all across this country. Oh, so you're going to be traveling the country? Yeah, I'm still doing that. I'm, I'm in high demand right now, and I and I thank God for the opportunity that people. So we see want why to you're hear. in high demand. Yeah. That's, it's obvious. Yeah, it's obvious. Um, yeah. Tell me about 
what are your what are the issues you're you are near and dear to you that you want to see some movement on? Um, universal health care is, Amy. It's not, you know, Senator Sanders really hit on something. He caused me to have a flashback. Uh, my mother died at the age of 42 years old. An aneurysm burst in her brain. I saw her that morning and, and didn't see her that night. You know, told to go to the hospital because she was in a coma. And I'm the oldest of seven children. And uh, my husband and I, you know, when we got there, so I'm oldest of seven children. I have a son, or seven, I'm sorry, oldest of seven. Yeah, seven children. We have a son. Uh, my mother died poor. Uh, she died on the system of welfare. She didn't have a life insurance policy. She didn't have money in the bank. I'm 22. And my youngest sister is 12. There's seven of us. Mm. So I'm a baby myself at the age of 22. And I'm a sophomore at Cuyahoga Community College. Mm. And I'm feeling like, my God, my life is over. My mother is gone. You know, my, my parents got married really young as teenagers and it didn't work out. So I grew up 95% of my life in a single parent household. My mother was my everything. And just even, you know, thinking about her. But for me, it really was thinking about my life's journey and how hard it's been that I had this, you cannot not support Senator Bernie Sanders. And so when I think about poor mothers and fathers like her who struggle every single day, they won't be written about in history books. They may not live up to everybody's standards, but nobody wants to be poor. Nobody says, oh, yeah, when I grow up. This is what I aspire to be. But everybody doesn't run the race at the same pace. And so when you have a champion like him saying unapologetically, oh, yeah, universal health care is a moral right. For me, being a first-generation college graduate, my mother never lived to see me walk across stages and take oaths or offices, but it really was college that helped me become a cycle breaker. So I do believe as a country that as we invest in prison, we spend about $80 billion a year, the worst of the worst do need to be locked up, but there are other people who need a second and a third chance, and we can take some of that money and invest in our young people, not saddle them with debt because they decided to go to college. All of those things speak to me. So those issues, issues of income and wealth inequality and education are near and dear to my heart. Access to the ballot box because that is the greatest equalizer. Those issues are, but it's personal for me yeah. as you can. All of this is personal for me. So it wasn't for people who don't understand, who can't, and some people will never understand. You know, I've been called everything and social media can be very vicious as you know I've been called a sellout and you know I'm gonna get mine and I'll never be anything you know people can be very vicious but I sleep well at night because ultimately there's only one being that I'm gonna have to answer to when this is all said and done and that to me that's 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 God that's the higher that's that's what I'm here for and and I do have to just give a shout out to my husband who has always supported every move that I've ever made and just believes I'm the best politician on the face of the earth. And it was really him who said, baby, you know, I, I know you know who Senator Sanders is, but I don't think you really know him. And you should give him a chance because he has the same righteous indignation about the poor and the middle class in this country that you have. I think he's your candidate. And that really was the beginning of my journey to say, hmm, he really is my candidate. Then I had a chance to get a phone call from him. And then the rest is history, as you say. And so I, mean, I, I had no, I, I sleep well at night. And that means a lot to me that when, when, when all is said and done and people are at my funeral, when it's written, what I want them to say is that she, she stood up for what she believed in. But more importantly, she used, as a, as a pastor said to me, that you should use your advantage to the advantage of the disadvantage. Mm. That's what I want people to say mm. about me. See, and you're telling me, you're saying, you're telling me I'm all, I'm kind of teary-eyed here and I'm <laughs> teary-eyed. I'm not, you know, I'm a little bit of a crybaby, but yeah, I'm really, I am too. I'm really moved I by, am too. 
you. I am um, too. And, and your can I say, spirit, you and, know. And, and for me, why college is so important, because my son, who is my motivation to make this world a better place, he became a second generation. His grandmother didn't live to see that. So it's real that when you can get to the parent and change their life, you can change lives generationally. So to hear a candidate say he's this is pie in the sky will never be it's worth fighting for. You know, just like freeing slaves was worth fighting for. Women having the right to vote was worth fighting for. We want visionaries, people who see beyond what is current circumstance. And that is what Senator Sanders' candidacy has done, I think, for all of us, whether we support him or not and whether we recognize it or not. So I'm so, oh, Amy, I'm so messed up right no. now. Just what's happening in this studio is I'm totally crying. Senator Tur- um, Turner, yeah. your heart is so big. And um, you're talking about Bernie Stand- Sanders. I'm looking at you. I want you to run this. <laughs> Someone with a heart and a spirit and a, and a, and a fire for justice yeah. should be our leader. And I'm just even more, uh, I've been following your career for years, but just just even more moved. And, uh, and I want to know what's, what, I mean, I'm sure everybody's wondering what are you what are you yeah. gonna do next? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be working in, in nationally. You're gonna be talking to the uh, black electorate in particular, yeah. and 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 the white. I'm gonna talk to, to poor people across the board. I think my my cachet, you know, my community, you know, is my is my first love. There's no doubt about it. it, it my community, our you know, African American community groomed me and helped me um, to be the woman that I am today. But poverty, you know, people are suffering in this country across the ethnic spectrum. That's and right. one thing. Uh, being a national spokesperson, you know, for Senator Sanders has given me the ability to talk to poor whites in this country and poor Latinos in this country and people who just across the ethnic, whether you're Asian, Native American, people just want to live a good life. They're not asking for a whole lot. And nobody begrudges the wealthy. I didn't hear anybody on the trail say I hate wealthy people. Greed, excessive greed is the problem in this country right now. We're a 70% consumer economy. The only way the wealthy stay wealthy and, and the only way that our economy continues to churn and be healthy as if people have disposable income. If they don't have disposable income, we are in trouble. So people are not asking. They, they want a good future. They want to know that their children have a good future. They want to live safe communities. And they want to know that the people who they elect to office are not just whispering sweet nothings in their ear just to get elected, That they're but that they're actually going to use their political power to make a difference. Mm. That's not too much. No, that's I, not I too much. I don't think that's too much. Uh, and it's a, it sounds like a message that's been resonating, will continue mm. to resonate, and... You know what? Speaking of electing uh, people, what what is your next political uh, aspiration? You know, I don't know. And there are, and I just want to thank your listeners. There are, I've met hundreds of thousands of people um, across this country who just they want to see me run for something again. And I'm not sure if I will, but no matter what I do, I'm going to continue to be a voice. For the voiceless, that I can guarantee you. Mm-hmm. So, so who knows? Well, I call it the elected ministry, and I think it's a ministry because you really have to care about the people and not just the power. Because power is about how you use it. It does matter who has it because it determines how they use it. But whether I'm formally elected again or not, rest assured, I'm going to continue to use my voice and the cachet that I've been given to do the people's bidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I want to. Speaking of your voice, yeah. I'm looking at these uh, uh, two books. You yeah. published Grandma's Bones in 2016 and Wishbone, yeah. Jawbone, Backbone, which is a journal a companion journal. to that in yeah. 2015. Yeah, I wonder. 
you know, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Grandma's Bones and perhaps share something from it? I can. Thank you so much for that. It's really rooted in my grandmother, which your listeners or people who have ever heard me speak, I talk about her a lot. She died four months after my mother did that year in 1992. I mean, it was a heavy year. But my grandmother, you know, she didn't have a formal education. She only had third grade education, but she had, you know, what we call in the African-American community, mother wit. She was one of the smartest women I've ever known. And as a little girl, I always asked my grandmother, what does it take to be successful in life? And she told the story of the three bones. And she said, all you need are the three bones, the wishbone, the jawbone, and the backbone. She said, the wishbone will keep you hoping and praying because hope is the motivator, but the dream is the driver. The jawbone will give you courage to speak truth to power. Lift your voice. You know, it, it should matter that you're in the room, that you're in that space. Lift that voice. But the most important bone of them all, she said, is the super fragile, catalytic, expialidocious bone. <laughs> and that's the backbone because it will give you courage to stand through all of your trials and tribulations. And in this life, you're going to go through something, but you can't have a testimony without a test. And so I take my grandmother's three bones everywhere that I go. So this was just a quick book that I wrote that uses my grandmother's three bones and segments. And I name people who have used either their wishbone or their jawbone or their backbone. So people like George Washington Carver or Booker T. Washington or Harriet Tubman. And I just overlay them in every single section. And then I encourage people that whatever their journey, or their path is, take grandma's bones with you. Your wish, everybody has a wish and a hope and a dream. Your jawbone, you have voice. That titles are good, but purpose is better. We all have purpose, but ultimately you're going to be challenged. You're going to go through some stuff, and that's when your backbone comes in. So Ooh. this is really dedicated to my grandmother, and the companion journal is really for people to be able to write their thoughts and their ideas because if you think it, you got to ink it. you got to write it down or put it in your iPad, tech, you know, type it or write it. But I really do believe, even though we have all this technology, that nothing takes the place of what it feels like to write. It's just something about the page and the pen or the pencil that really utilizes all of your senses. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I read that, uh, you know, despite technology, mm-hmm. human beings will always read. Yes. They'll always write. Yes. It's like, and um, I know as I, you know, am working on a book about women of color in politics. Which and I'm why so this, excited yes, that you're doing that. Why, why this conversation is, is so fascinating and touching to me. Uh, I realize you know, how powerful it is to uh, dedicate to writing. Um, I'm just opening up uh, Grandma's Bones to a page, and I see uh, some mention of Shirley Chisholm. And I think, you know, as we move into a period where we have the first uh, woman, I'll say the first white woman, uh, as the Democratic uh, candidate for president, Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't the first woman. No. That was Shirley Chisholm back in the 70s, and yeah. uh, she doesn't get enough she doesn't. A- a- attention. She doesn't. Unbought and Unbossed was her campaign slogan, and uh, it's, it's a book, so I encourage your listeners to go and read the book and really learn about her, but she challenged the status quo. So although there may be some similarities in terms of gender, there's no similarity in terms of she fought against the status quo. She wasn't part of the status quo. And I mean status quo, it was even black electives that thought she was delusional when she uh, stood up and said, you know, I, I'm a woman. I'm proud of that. I'm African-American. I'm proud of that, too. But I'm not running for those reasons. I'm running to be a voice for the people. And she she also said, we only have one vote. She said, don't let that one vote, and I'm paraphrasing her, you know, be, be taken for granted. And that really is my message, not only to the African-American community, but to all communities. Why, why do you think, Hil- I, why isn't Hillary Clinton mentioned 
that she's standing on the shoulders of a woman like Shirley Chisholm. I, I did see that uh, when she declared herself the presumptive nominee, uh-huh. uh, there was a video that was made that had multicultural voices. Yes. But I often hear uh, references to women have had the vote for this many years, but they, it's right. always the marker is when white women yes. have the vote. But African-American women, more or less, and you know this yes. as an expert in yeah. this area, uh, since the late 60s, That's where right. uh, African-American uh, women had regular access to right. the ballot box, but not not really before that. That's right. Uh, same with Latinas. Same yes. with Afri- uh, you know Asian Pacific women Islanders. of color, Native American. I mean, look what we've done to our Native Americans. And that was another beautiful thing about Senator Sanders' campaign that he did not ignore our Native American sisters and brothers in this country who have been, you know, at, at, ignored. I mean, what would we need to hear from uh, uh, Hillary Clinton to acknowledge someone like? I mean, not just. Not, not just Shirley Chisholm, yeah. but really the history of the multiracial history of, yeah, women. of this country. I, you know, I'm I'm just overhearing right now. I want some doing. I I, I want to see things happen. That the Democratic nominee more than anybody, and the Republican nominee too. I mean, Jesus Christ! Don't even get me started on Mr. Trump. I mean, he says that I just. But the Democrats, we are the party that says that we have this the value right that we're going to stand up for social justice and equality for all people. And we need the Democratic Party to give more, to pay more attention policy-wise. So you say it, because words are important. So you speak those words, but I want to see the deeds follow the words. So we need to do something about mass incarceration in this country. We know we got about 2.5 million people incarcerated. Over half of those are African-Americans, and particularly African-American men. I want to see you... I want to hear the words, but I want to see the policy. I, I, I have to stop you right there. Yeah. I've been, I, uh, Black Lives Matter, and most of them are black women. Yes. We're courageous. Led the very. Yeah, really courageous young women. Yes. Uh, I look at these women, are 21, yeah. 22, 23, uh, going and interrupting the, uh, you know, speeches, political speeches by Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. Yes. And calling and, out their support. Right. Of, a, of uh, uh, the policies yes. uh, that really led to uh, mass incarceration. But I didn't hear a, a really deep, uh, not just a repudiation, because we've heard that, oh, yeah. I, I think I made a mistake, but a, of like a deep commitment for a different direction. Did, right. did you hear something? No, I, I, I have not heard that and not saying that she won't, but but I want to see it. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, yes, she apologized, you know, she called Black children, super predators who have to be brought to heel. Our Black Lives Matter sisters have challenged, you know, they challenged Senator Sanders. They challenged uh, Governor O'Malley when he was, they did challenge. They made people feel very uncomfortable. But that's what the struggle is all about, taking people out of the comfort zone. But apologizing is one thing. But when you have the power, when you're going to be put in a, you know, if she went, put in a position of power to actually do something, because that apology is one thing, but we got to look at generationally how the black community has been, has been, has suffered because of the three strikes you're out and because of mass incarceration has been disrupted, if you will, generationally. This is, becomes bigger than an apology. It's, I admit that I was wrong. I do apologize. But this is what I am going to commit to doing. Hold me accountable for doing these things. When Senator Sanders said he was going to reduce the prison population, that he had a platform that talked about the five violences against black and brown people, political, legal, economic, political, 
and environmental. I may have said political twice, but yeah, but, but the political but, is doubled but, but, up. Right, right, not doubled up. <laughs> but 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 he, he and he called them violences. And I think that's a strong word because that is an acknowledgement that in this country, black and brown bodies are not worth as much. You know, one of my uh, colleagues, um, Dr. Eddie Glaude of Princeton, wrote a book called Democracy in Black, where he talks about the value proposition in this country that black and, and lives are not worth as much. So we need to deal with that. That is not just about an achievement gap. It's about a value gap, he says. So I encourage. And then our very own Steve Phillips writes about, you know, brown is the new white. Yeah. It's still right? on the bestseller list, it too. Is. It, it needs to be. You it know, is. I, I, and, I, and I'm just really wondering, as a presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton could carry uh, some reform of the criminal justice system and into mass incarceration. Yeah. What would that look like if you if you could write out the policy? Yeah. You know. Yeah. What would it be? It, it, it would be number one, taking a look at the federal regs and the laws and getting the Congress to uh, adjust some of those things so that we take low level, particularly nonviolent drug offenders because. Too many of the people who are in prison are drug offenders, and many of the people who are in prison now now have some type of men- mental challenge. Not all of them, and I'm not minimizing. I don't want the community, you know, the mental health community to think. No, I'm not saying they're all, but by and large, and it's a literacy problem too. There are studies that show that the overwhelming majority of people who are in prison have a low literacy rate. Many of them are functionally functionally illiterate. So it is the investments on the front end on education, pre-K to college, so that you give children, children who live in impoverished communities, an opportunity to thrive. I think it was Brother Frederick Douglass who said something like, you know, let's invest in children because I can't fix in broken men. You know, it's not going to do it, but let's invest in our children on the front end. It is looking at Drug, the drug system and, and, and stop. Let's let's find treatment. Let's invest money in treatment for people who are truly drug addicted. I'm not talking about people who sell the drugs. And then we got to take marijuana off of the form uh, uh, the, the, the formula one, you know, uh, a drug label uh, on the federal level. Why is somebody selling marijuana uh, now have to have a felony? for God's sakes. So it's dealing with drugs, it's dealing with over-incarceration of African-American and Latinos in this, com- in this country, it's dealing with women, because far too many black women and Latinas are incarcerated too. But at the same time that you're dealing with this, you also have to deal with the needs of the community in a way that's productive so that we slow the pace on the front end and on the back end of people who d- just need a second or sometimes a third or fourth chance. Now, if they're violent, you know, totally violent, like should never walk the streets again. All of us get that. But the majority of people who are in prison are coming back. And then so unless we do something to help them reclaim their lives, they will recidivate. And and, and recidivism rates are high. And it doesn't make us safe. So we got to be smarter on crime. But that debt is definitely owed to the African-American community. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people in the community. It's not just African American. No, it's across the it's across the board. Need right. to hear something. Right. Uh, need to hear something yeah. in order to uh, be convinced it's going to be a hear priority. and do. Mm-hmm. Right. Show and tell. Show or te- and tell. Or tell and show. But but I want some show. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I just I I want to uh, I really want to wrap up this uh, really amazing conversation by you know just acknowledging that the terrible uh, thing that just happened in um, Orlando. Yeah has so many people in our community mm-hmm. 
different gender, yeah. genders, races, uh, sexual orientations, and people, just people, people of consciousness, feeling uh, afraid and yeah. desperate. Some people suspecting that the environment of politi political speech that comes out of the Trump side of it yes. you know, uh, is encouraging or and making space. He's inflaming. Inflaming. And he should not do that. I mean, it seems, have, seems like that would be irresponsible. Illegal, irresponsible, but it also seems illegal. Uh, and some, But maybe not. We're a freedom of speech right. nation. Okay. You know, so, but, but, but it's irresponsible. Responsible. I mean, that's the kindest PG thing I can say on your show that yeah. it is it is rabidly irresponsible for Mr. Trump to stoke those uh, fears. What's your message to people in the wake of Orlando? That our collective love for one another is our greatest strength, and that we we're gonna come back from this, and we're gonna be more in tune to hatred. This is not just about tolerance. I, I don't even really like the word tolerance. We need to accept each other for who we are and what we bring to the table. And all of us have value. So our gay, lesbian, transgender sisters and brothers, when they hurt, we hurt. If you're heterosexual, you know, if they come from one group, they're coming for the next. But I believe that our collective love and courage ultimately is going to save the day. That there's promise in this problem. There really, really is. That their deaths, and we have to make sure that their deaths are not in vain. Yeah, that's what we owe them. Well, with that inspirational message, I just want to thank you, Senator Turner, well, for your you. words and your time and uh, your continued uh, commitment. I, 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 for one, have been just my heart is full. Well, thank you. And thank you for being such an incredible host. And it's just my high honor to to join you. And I hope that your listeners gain something that they can use and take take with them for generations to come but we are all our sisters and brothers keepers and we all have an obligation to do our little part to make the world a better place titles are good but purpose is better so thank you well said <laughs> democracy in color is a project of power pack plus this episode was produced by Lulu Matute with technical support from Austin McMakin in Cleveland and Anthony Hernandez in Emeryville, California. Thanks to our editor, Charlene Chang, and our intern, Mina Benotham. Listen to future episodes on democracyandcolor.com, SoundCloud, and iTunes. If you appreciate this podcast as much as we appreciate you, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. Also tell a friend, a colleague, or a neighbor to tune in for their dose of political intelligence. So until next time, thanks so much for joining us.